Welcome back to another episode of the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. I am DC, one of your four co-hosts, and I'm joined by Jack, Lawrence, and DY. Now, in terms of the recording of this particular pod- podcast, we're actually recording on the, uh, the 14th, which is a good sort of two weeks before ICN Queensland. Now, by the time you guys get to listen to this podcast, it would have been the week after the Queensland show. And I wanted to throw a question over to the boys because at this point in time, competitors are sitting between ICN Queensland's and the national show, which is essentially you know, two weeks after this show. Now, I've never had the experience of having to wait an entire week and a bit or essentially two weeks until jumping on stage again. For you boys, what was your experience like having a, a bit of a spacing between your shows? Was it challenging? Was the excitement of you know doing that first show leading into the second show? Was that there for you? Was there any challenges to having to wait essentially two weeks to jumping on stage again? I want to throw this question over to Lawrence. Yeah, it's interesting. Hey, like I suppose I've had the the experience where there's been sometimes like two or three weeks between the shows. Sometimes it's been back-to-back weeks. Sometimes it's been, you know, getting ready for the last show of the season and the show didn't end up happening. So a little bit of everything. I think that the back-to-back weeks whilst they're big weeks and there's a lot to organize and you're being like even more meticulous, like maybe you're tracking your water to the exact liter. Maybe you're tracking your sodium to the exact milligram, like just being that meticulous and doing all the shaving and running around for tans and stuff like that. It can be tiresome, but it can be nice as well because you have like three weeks where you're not in like a big dieted state you're getting some refeeds, your training intensity is a little bit less. So I know that when I did my three back-to-back three back back shows in 2020, I actually thought that three weeks was really good. It was kind of like a diet break in a sense. And it was a week where I was only doing like one or two hard sessions a week. So it was quite nice. And I do find that like when you have the longer break and you know the, the shine from the show wears off, the dust settles, you're kind of like, ah, like I, I have achieved something but the job's not done yet. And now whilst there might be some people who are out celebrating, I'm still here like doing the work and I'm still dieting and that sort of thing. So I think there's pros and cons to both. And I think, you know, we're just quite fortunate that our whole window to compete in Australia is a little bit narrower than it is in other places in the world. So we're fortunate enough that we generally don't have to wait too long between drinks. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think yeah just i i always seem to be the one who just brings up how how much it hurts which um but that's that's kind of what i, I feel would... like i talk about that all the time as well okay <laughs> well, you should don't I'm... cry <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i think that's the hardest part to be honest is like if there's a couple of weeks in between like as lawrence said there's not as much direct motivation as in peak week and you kind of have to get into the trenches and get the stuff done which can be hard. And I think it provides opportunity though, to get leaner um, like it did for UDC. So it definitely has merit. Um, personally, if I had a choice, like I would probably um, rather do it back to back, like for, for like even three or four shows and uh, just be ready for show one in that case. Like it just depends. Like that would kind of be my ideal season, to be honest. Absolutely. What about you, DY? I've actually only done back-to-back. So my first ever show, I did Townsville and Brisbane. And then the last, the middle season that I did, I only did Brisbane. And the last one, I did Townsville and Brisbane. So I actually haven't had huge amounts of break. But there's pros and cons to both. Like you were saying, like two weeks gives you also a very large amount of time in terms of making those refinements. So if you do really need to rein something in for nationals, two weeks gives you a solid slog to do that, whatever it may be where only one week, like even though DC made some considerable changes, you can only change so much within one week and, and like a peak week where if you get another whole another week on top of that, you can really actually make some decent changes. Mm, I think if you're like 98% there or, you know, 99% there, perhaps that that weekend back to back, you can make some some minor adjustments there. And obviously if you've got two weeks, you may have a little bit more, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I'm similar to you, Jack, even though I've only competed in back-to-back shows i think that would be my preference moving forward because it's almost like a short stint of just getting it done getting immersed in competing and then you're sort of you know you're done uh and all the hard work has been done you know essentially essentially prior to that um i don't know if you remember dy but i think originally 
our national show, which ended up getting canceled in season B, uh, it was supposed to be something like a month, a good month or so uh, after Queensland's. And I think that's because of just things being moved around with COVID and borders, et cetera. And that was the the time that they could dedicate for us competing. Whereas like in this case, it's two week, two weekends after, right? Or yeah, two weekends after for this season. So I, I remember actually dreading and being like, I'm going to have to wait an entire month to get on stage at nationals. That is a long time at, at, yeah. for me, especially, you know, being, being, or anyone being, being that lean in general, I remember really dreading the idea of having to hold that conditioning for four weeks. So, if you would have yeah, waited. If it was, I mean, if the, if the competition went ahead, absolutely. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have called my, um, my competition short or my season short just because of, you know, four weeks. I would have, I would have hated it. <laughs> Probably would have hated every process of it. <laughs> in that four weeks because look i don't know i don't know like whoever says to you that being that lean is fun and they love it and it's just like every quality about it is just like the best then i would just say you're not you're not lean enough because like i'm somewhat scared to get that lean again (laughs) because of the uh the physiological effects that you feel like you know i definitely will i have that excitement to get on stage again but i'm somewhat scared to get that conditioned again to be honest for me, it was, yeah, it was very daunting, like having to wait yeah, yeah, that yeah. long. It was like, I remember sitting there like a week before, or like two weeks before Brisbane. I was like, holy crap, like, can I do this for like another six weeks or whatever it was? Like, that's a long time when you're that lean and you've already been prepping for what, like 30 weeks. And you're just like, like, I feel like I would have done it. Like, but like, it's just such a slog at that point. And everything's running through your mind. You're like, holy God, I'm so hungry. I'm so fatigued. And it's like, like for four weeks of like completely like crazy conditioning, especially for like UDC, it would have just been an absolute nightmare. I couldn't have even imagined it. So mm. I was actually very thankful when they were going to hand out the pro cards at the state show. Cause I was like, Holy God, it just like took that pressure off my shoulders. But I feel like once winning the Brisbane show, which you would have done as well, I feel like the motivation would have been quite high to actually keep digging for those last like three to four weeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that you definitely run off a bit of a high from that competition, particularly if you know you do well, you really enjoyed yourself. I mean, irrespective of whether you you do well placing wise or not, but if you thoroughly enjoyed your time on stage, I certainly that think that that can push forth your motivation into your next next stage showing. But um, throwing it over to you, Lawrence, because I know that obviously you want to do the WNBF Worlds potentially the next time you jump on stage, and thinking about you know the timeline surrounding the ICN shows, NBA shows, and kind of our season in comparison to when Worlds typically is. And it's like end of November usually. So that's a long time to hold that conditioning to uh, to jump on stage. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that isn't something that's crossed my mind. I suppose that's where we're just going to have to suck it up to a certain extent. Like, you know, I think by that point, this is like by that point that's not just a show that i've been dreaming about for for 30 weeks like this has been circled in the calendar since 2018 like it's it's five years in the making that i would have been having my eye on doing WNBF worlds in america in 2023 so i know that's not going to be issue like yes it's still going to suck um i suppose one saving grace is you would very much think by that point there is no more fat loss to take place and that we're going to be slowly increasing calories, which we all know sounds fantastic. It just means you get to spend a bit more time chewing stuff. You still feel horrible. So <laughs> it's, it's much of a muchness. But yeah, I think at that point, mate, like there comes a point where the excitement and the rush just takes over. And I think, you know, when I'm packing my bag to get on a plane to, to New York, hopefully, I don't think it's going to suck quite as much. Mm. To yeah. be honest, what I, what I might do in because I plan to go to uh, Worlds in twenty four is I might just go there early, like for three or four weeks. And I think that being in a new environment, like uh, at a different gym, uh, I think that'll really help in those final four weeks. And this is kind of even I haven't even told Tierra about this, but that's kind of been what's on my mind in twenty four, just to because I know how brutal those last few weeks are going to be. So that's my game plan. Did Jack just confirm that he's not doing 23? There it is. He doesn't want the smoke, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Dish in the shade. No, I'm just joking, Jack. I'm, I'm, mate, hopefully, you know, 
if the podcast, you know, hopefully we're all millionaires by then and we can all we'll come across and we'll just watch you. We'll just fly across even if we're not competing. So DY can fly us all across. Yeah, exactly. Private, private jet. jet. Well, yeah. private. <laughs> no, so is awesome that boys. Have you confirmed that with AJ? Uh, we briefly discussed it um, in terms of like, it, no, it's still up in the air about whether I do 24 or 23, but like, I'm pretty, pretty set on, on 24. Like I, the way, the way my head's at now is like, I see the next time I compete as my deciding season as to how far I can take bodybuilding, because I think you guys all know, like there's, there's not much extra I can do right now in terms of progressing my physique. Like I'm doing everything I can in the gym and outside of the gym uh, beyond taking PEDs, I guess. And therefore, like if, if I step on stage next time and I'm like, damn, I'm not actually even that happy with how I look um, trying to, while trying to be as objective as possible, like, I don't, I don't know what will be next for me in, in bodybuilding. Like I'll then just be bodybuilding to, to, because I, because I enjoy it, which is why I bodybuild anyway, but there will be no longer as much of a competitive aspect for me in bodybuilding, if that makes any sort of sense. I find that really interesting. Hey, cause you look at someone like, um, Jeff, Jeff Alberts, and I think Jeff competed for a good, like 10, 12 years or something like that before he actually won his pro card. And I think his mindset, just based on what I've listened to, has changed drastically from, you know, being incredibly outcome orientated in terms of his stage placing to, you know, living the lifestyle and the placing comes secondary to him just fulfilling everything he needs to do within bodybuilding, both in, in an off season and in a contest prep. And mm. his, his, his physique at, you know, age in, in his 40s, potentially late 40s, is better than when he was in his like 20s right mm. so well I, I will just interrupt you there just uh, just to say like i am not talking about the placing i'm talking about how much of a bodybuilder i think i look like like do i think the last three years of, of, of obsessive work with bodybuilding has been reflected on the stage in 2024 like that's kind of the the, the deciding question i'll be asking myself but in the in the grand scheme of things is a couple of years really that that long to showcase this vision of what you have as, as a bodybuilder in your mind. Like if, if you, if you had a client come to you and said, Hey, like I'm going to start training, you know, and just level up for the next couple of years. Like you think I can just bring that physique that I'll, that I've aspired to bring, you know, since a kid, since I was a kid. And I would be like, yeah, you make some really great progress in a couple of years time, but like another couple of years beyond that as well of applying yourself within the same principles, mm. your physique should be even better. Correct. So it's, yeah, but it, it also depends on their starting point. Like what if their starting point was you right now? Like that would be a different answer compared to their starting point was, I don't know, a 60 kilo, uh, 17 year old. EY. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to, I had to. Anyway, that's like true. Yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind EY of just... just left the chat. <laughs> Um, that's that's kind of roughly where my head's at like i i don't want to paint the picture of course that i'm not passionate about this because i i'll keep on bodybuilding regardless of how i look in 24 but i essentially i just want to make more progress that's that's where my head's at hmm. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh for the audio audio listeners which is everyone um <laughs> dy just uh put his pro card in front of the screen which is very apt because if i look around my room i can't find one so well played sir well played oh yeah it's women's bikini anyway so <laughs> but jack so does that mean like if you get on stage in 2024 and the vision or the look is not where you hoped it would be by that point like if you keep bodybuilding, keep living the lifestyle, do you think that might be your last time competing? No, I don't do think, you think so. You would just take like 10 years off. I would just say that I would be quite, I would be quite disappointed, like not in myself because I would have known that I've done everything I could, but just disappointed in general. And um, at the same time, it's, it's almost a little bit futile thinking that because it's, again, it's that word of genetics coming up again, because I will have done everything I could and, um yeah so but i don't think you would be anywhere near your genetic limit within a couple of years time like how old are you i'm 25 well not almost 25 
mate, this guy's talking out of his ass. Like, <laughs> he's he's put, putting up the boots, putting up the trunks at what at age 26, 27. You guys are you guys are putting words in my mouth. I didn't I didn't say that <laughs> once. The the title Jack retires from bodybuilding. Yeah, genetic yeah, limit yeah, found. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Genetics eight uh, out of ten. Mental one out of ten. <laughs> Crumbles. Because even AJ on one of his videos was saying like. I mean, like Ben Howard was kind of like jesting him saying like, yeah, you need to jump on stage next year. You need to defend the crown or whatever. And he was like, like, mate, I'm genuinely thinking about not competing until I'm like 30 years old. Cause he Who, just AJ said, said that. Yeah. AJ said that mm-hmm. in one of the um, natural bodybuilding worldwide cheeky plug videos <laughs> that he's thinking about just taking tons of time off, wait till he's like 30 mm-hmm. and then just showcase like a completely different physique, which like, I can. That's see a better myself. description of what I'm not trying to just jump on AJ's bandwagon, but like that's that's kind of a better description of where my head's at. Like I just yeah. want to showcase a very very different physique, and I know that's like giving myself an extra year to 24 is going to give me a better opportunity at that. But my desire to get back on stage is still very high, and that's why I don't want to extend it beyond 24 because I'm I'm still keen to get on stage. Yeah, because I think that's something I could see like for a bodybuilder who maybe say like start a family or something like that. Mm. Like you might take like a full five or six years off while your kids are young and while they're a little bit, you know, wrangling them around and stuff like that while you're sort of learning how to be a parent and stuff like that. That'd be a good time to just, you know, keep going with your training nutrition as best you can, but just stay away from the stage and then come back for like maybe one last hurrah, but you've spent all this time just adding tissue and density and, and it's potentially like a far superior look. Yes, if I have kids, that is. Yeah, up in <laughs> so the air. That's that's an interesting question. Do, are, are kids in the in the timeline for all of us? Maybe that's a quite a loaded question. I know for me they are. I'm very mm. excited to one day have children. I'm still yeah. Too. I think I'm I'm mature enough to answer it, but I'm too young to answer it. I think just because ten years, I I would be th- looking at like early to mid thirties, and that's still uh, 10, 10 years away. So. It's very tough to answer, but I would can quite confidently say not in my twenties. I'm not having kids. Got to look around, make sure Alana's not looking. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there she is. Give it down. Give it down. Now I'm the same as Jack. Like I can't see it in the twenties. Like it doesn't really phase me and I don't think it will for a while, but I'm sure once everything's settled down, you know, I've done a couple more shows. Uh, I'm sure definitely kids are on the table. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm what turning, turning 30 this, this month, actually. Um, but I mate. still, I mean, I, I still feel like I'm 16 years old to be honest. I don't feel any different mm. and I don't, I don't, still don't feel like I am of an ample adult to make that, that decision to, uh, to give up some of my spare time and, and have a child. <laughs> yes. It's, it's given up the money. <laughs> there are a lot of money, them kids. There's always the overpopulation argument as well. I hear that argument though. Like when people say like, you know, like it's overpopulated as it is. And like, you know, the world is in such an ordinary point. Um, and like, you know, with the climate, with the whatever. Yeah. I, I mean, I hear a lot of people say that, you know, they just don't necessarily want to, you know, bring a child into a world that is is not necessarily going the right way. But mm. I don't know. I just think that's a, not a very optimistic <laughs> yeah. way to think. Like we have to think it's going to get better. Like I think mm. that's... What's but I, I guess also like bloom. to play devil's advocate, like a way you could be making it better is by not having kids because again, like fossil fuels, emissions, it's just another person utilizing energy, so to speak. Well, hey man, I don't see you, you know, getting out your, uh, your push bike. I have some solar panels now. It came with the house. And uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> You'd say the same thing about dogs. Could you not? That's another mm. living, breathing thing. You had to make food for it. But what, very, like, that's correct. the thing. What's a world without dogs? That's not a world mm. I want to be in. <laughs> you don't even own a dog. <laughs> I can like dogs. I can like dogs. No, I, I could live without cats, see, but probably see, not dogs. Saving the planet, not have a dog. Saves the planet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Illustrating my point perfectly. Uh, mark my words, Jack. I'll get a dog and then you will be the fool. Can you just get like a medium-sized dog or a large dog? I don't know. Then my dogs will like your dog at least. Yeah. Do they not like small dogs? They're just like uh, dogs around their size, which can they can play with. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. We'll see what it's like. Because I quite like some breeds of little dogs. Mm. And also, you got to think about it. In bodybuilding, it's all about like relative size. So if someone sees me walking with a smaller dog, they're like, that guy's massive. Your, your calves will look slightly bigger. Exactly, exactly. So we're playing that game all the time as bodybuilders. Or maybe he's just so weak that he needs a smaller dog or else he'll get pulled along by it. This is also true. Hey, could could be viable, could be viable in prep, right? You don't want to be walking that dog and it's pulling pulling you along. Actually, funny story. I remember walking Nicole's dog in um in prep. And I remember getting like so agitated because this thing was walking so damn fast. And it wasn't because I was walking fast, it was because <laughs> I was walking so damn slow mm. being in prep. Like I remember old people like walking straight past me and I've got this dog and I'm just trudging along, like just dragging ass. <laughs> And uh, I had to start ditching the dog for my walks because I'm like, it's walking too quick. That's actually an unfortunate occurrence of prep. It happened to me like we went from walking them every day to once a week, uh, twice a week on our rest days, which it sucks. Like I felt bad for the dogs, but it was just too, too hard. I remember just I imagine your dog just looking at you super depressed as you're like walking <laughs> out, out from the gate. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you not taking me? I'm just thinking like DC's there with his dog. He's like walking normal pace. And you're like, bloody hell, this thing's a greyhound. It's bloody <laughs> yeah. all over the place. Pretty, pretty much, man. I remember walking with Nicole and being like, you take the damn dog. And then we'd walk for like 200 meters and it passed the dog back to me. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. I'm just getting pissed off. <laughs> uh, ridiculous the prep thing. Much? What's that? DY, do the snags walk much? I'll take him out a couple of times a week. But in prep, I used to walk him like every single day. But like the dogs would literally just stop like every couple of hundred meters just out of the blue right in front of you just to shake their ears. And it used to piss me off so much. I'd literally be walking down the street, got my headphones in, listen to a podcast. They'd just stop dead in front of me and just start shaking. I'd just like kick them by accident. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I couldn't take him anymore. I was like, all right, limited walking time with them. Hmm. So we I talk thought, about, you know, in prep, the, the invasiveness of like it affecting our social health mm. and, you know, relationships around us. But really, you know, the, the people or the, the things that are at, at fault here is our, our, our dogs. That's true. <laughs> They're wearing us thin. <laughs> yeah. A cat, uh, however, perfect prep animal. True. That's the secret. There you go. All right. Well, we've had enough banter for now. Let's move into some, uh, some questions that we got from from our you know listener listener q a box uh and firstly you know thank you for anyone anyone sending through their uh their questions helps us to definitely direct the show towards the content that you guys and girls want to listen to uh, but the first questions that we had here was all factors com combined what division male and female do you think is the most challenging let's throw it over to you dy firstly I actually had to think about this and I reckon it would have to be women's figure for like a natural, natural show. I feel like it's equivalent to bodybuilding, but the calories actually just need to get down even lower just because of their body weight naturally. So it would pretty much be like, it's pretty much equivalent to bodybuilding level condition these days, but then just on lower cows. So, and yeah, that, that was my thought process behind it. Isn't it all relative to play devil's advocate? I agree, but for different reasons as well. Like, isn't it all like a relative deficit just based on how mm. lean you are? Because let's be real, like it doesn't really matter how much food you're on. You could be on 4,000 calories a day at that condition. You're still going to feel like garbage. You're still going to feel hungry. I guess my my um, rebuttal to that though would be that particularly women, their body fat set point is generally higher than than men's. Right. So where they may sit in the off season, let's say between 20, 20 to 30% as an example of a healthy, you know, body fat percentage for a female, perhaps a male might sit around the 15%, but if they still both need to get down to three, 4% body fat in order to achieve that level of conditioning, then potentially the woman has had to, to diet more aggressively or diet for longer or diet harder than maybe the male. That's not only that i think you could that? also add in like the menstrual side of things as well which obviously mm. we're blessed to not have to deal with which would also make it a lot harder on those calories that are also very very low in ma majority of the cases for figure girls i think uh potentially if you're competing naturally in ifbb bikini that's quite tough as well because you also have to master the stage presence in 
in bodybuilding, it's quite easy. All you do is like grit your teeth and, and give a smile. Um, and sure, you have to do the posing, but in bikini, like you have to do the, the walkout and then you have to kind of look um, a certain way at the time. Um, even if you feel like crap, you have to kind of give off the impression that you're not feeling like crap. So I thought that would be tough, um, at least speaking for myself. But I do agree figure would be very difficult as well for the reasons that um, you guys said. But couldn't you even say that Kate Archibald, when she did the figure, would be at the similar, like, because she did it naturally and she had to match up. She mm. had to be leaner than the bikini girls. She needed to match the same stage presence as those bikini girls pretty much. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm agreeing with you guys for figure, so. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, on a more practical note as well, like, you just have to do everything a bodybuilder does, similar condition, you're probably feeling quite similar and you have to do it in heels on a stage as well. Like mm. it's way harder to, like That's you true. Take any task, it is more difficult to do it in heels. Not speaking from experience, but I'm sure we can all imagine that. I can imagine you in heels, yeah. Yeah, it would not It would just nudge me into that six foot category as well. It'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think we've got a solid answer there. I think the female figure category wins. I guess you could say female bodybuilding, but they don't wear uh, they don't wear heels, do they? So I guess no, they don't. figure up, figure up some there. Mm, awesome. All righty, next question: What's the most difficult pose you've had to nail on stage? Let's throw this to you, Jack, because I know you competed in classic, mm. and I feel like classic in comparison to men's bodybuilding is obviously that additional element of you know stage presence, and the posing is obviously a lot different. It's a little bit more up to interpretation as to how you would like to hit your, you know, front double bicep as an example, uh, mm. variant to just your traditional, you know, legs straight on. What do you think would be the most challenging pose you've hit? I think it's the vacuum ones, like whatever, any pose with a vacuum, really, especially if you don't have time to like to take a breath in between poses. So you transition straight into a vacuum. Like let's say the most, uh, sorry, the abs and thigh where like you, you crunch down and you breathe your air out. And that's kind of the abs and thigh pose, but then you have to vacuum straight into the, um, to the, to the variation of it. And you're kind of holding your breath for that whole time. So that that's pretty tough. Um, but it's quite hard to hold a vacuum while also doing the other aspects of the pose as well. So probably my most classic pose at the end, like I, it doesn't even have a name for it because I, it's, it's not really like a, a traditional classic pose, but that would have been my, most difficult one i would say bodybuilding is a fair bit simpler compared compared to classic uh, but if i had to pick bodybuilding definitely we talked about it last week the uh or two weeks ago for the listeners would be the uh rear double by far that would easily be the hardest what about that i, I never actually striked this this pose on stage but is it called the the iron cross it's like the one where you you sink down into like a half splits and you throw your arms out to the side and you're sort of facing down towards the floor I feel like that would be a very challenging pose to strike. Mm. Probably not a very traditional pose that you would see a lot of competitors hit, but certainly in like posing routines. And I've seen a lot of the IFBB classic guys hit that style of pose before in their in their pose, pose down or at least in their routine. That would be a very challenging pose to hit. Yeah, challenging to get the angle right. I think I think uh, from a phys physical standpoint, it's not too tough to, to do. You kind of just put your arms out. <laughs> but like, Can you show a, us? Uh, maybe, maybe when I'm shredded. So give me two years. I think the arms out to the side is not the hard part. It's basically that you're balancing on your toes when you're in that bottom position because mm. you're sort of knelt down. You don't to want a face plant. Yeah, you don't want a face plant. Yeah, exactly. What about you, DY? Any challenging poses? There was one pose that I had, I did for my side shot, which was like an ab crunch on the side. But how I did it is I had my hips pretty much open towards the judges, but then yet my hips were completely to the side to try and show as much of like one quad as I could. I need to get a photo up because I actually have a photo. I was going to, uh, I think I was going to upload a little bit ago, but it, it was like, it was like an ab crunch, but my hips were completely to the side while like my quads were to the front towards the judges and it was just so hard through like your lower back and like your upper uh, He's your got that um, flexibility yeah it was all that bikini girl programming mobility that i had to do but yeah it's a hard one to try and explain but it was pretty much like an ab crunch where i wanted my quads to the judges but on a side shot so i had to keep my hips to the side it was a it was a whack one um but ended up pulling it off i guess 
And you, Lawrence, what about you, man? Yeah, I think the rear double, I actually had this question on my podcast as well and I went into a bit more detail, but I think the rear double, just because it is so like, like every pose is, is important to be top to toe on, but I think the rear double, there's just more to think about. And I think there's, it's easier to mess up if you get things wrong. So I would definitely say that, but yeah, I, I can imagine the classic stuff being a lot harder. Like I can't pull a vacuum. Like I can just kind of suck my stomach in and that's, that's it. Can it you, doesn't look like, have you actually, I was going to ask you this. Um, Cause I know DC can pull a vacuum. Cause I think I saw a photo shoot where he did one. Is yeah, that right? Vacuum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. What about, um? so like, have you ever dedicated like a solid six week period to like learning to vacuum? No, never. Okay. Cause and, I think, think hmm. I think it's cool for photo shoots and stuff. Um, but like, unless you're competing in classic and unless you want to whip it out in the pose down, like, I don't really think open bodybuilding is the place to vacuum because I don't mm. think it's, it best displays muscularity. I think, a, I think a slight vacuum in the, the front light spread can look good for certain people. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I suppose you can just kind of like, you know, bring up that rib cage. Um, yeah. I'd be interested to, maybe that'll be a little bit of a challenge. Um, once I'm back from my hiatus, maybe I'll try some vacuuming. Um, but mate, I'm a killer with the Dyson, but not with my own stomach, unfortunately. But boys, the, the thing we're not addressing is the the rear glute spread. That would be <laughs> glute spread. a challenging pose. I was going to say the full moon. The You guys familiar with that one? Yes, yes. I think Julian... The full moon spread? <laughs> The rear glute spread would be striking on stage. I think that would turn some serious heads. Do you still get the striations out though with a rear glute spread? I don't think you, that's possible. No, because I don't think you can spread and then also squeeze. <laughs> maybe, maybe if you, we, like this comes back to the, the pelvic tilt debate. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? How does yeah. one highlight it with the glutes spread? Because like, someone commented that on like Seabum's photo and it's gone like viral after that. They're like, can you post a rear glute spread? And I'm just like, oh, that, that image just doesn't get out of your head, unfortunately. Mm. Oh, God. Jason All calling right. the rear glute spread. <laughs> All right, let's move on <laughs> before we spiral any further. If you were bodybuilders, if you were, sorry, if you were not if you were bodybuilders, if you weren't bodybuilders, which sports slash hobbies would you pursue competitively? Well, I know DY's answer. What would that be? Esports. Yeah, I'd probably do something along the lines of that. I was going to say model. Uh, no, it's probably the only other scene that I watch competitively like, and see who's doing what. Yeah, very, very good answer there, Jack. Thank you. I... Oh, Lawrence, you go while well, I think. Like, I think I would go back to playing some sort of sport. Like, for as much as I kind of lost love for cricket, I, I don't know, some days I think maybe it would be nice to play again. Like, it's almost some like, think just being more mature and, like, understanding the game a bit better. Like, you'd be a better player even if your mm. skills didn't improve. But then again, like, I also love, like, basketball and I love football as well. So those would be fun to play um but then again like i probably also want to have like my gym training directly influence that so i don't know like maybe crossfit or something like that that's what i was gonna say actually probably do more more crossfit style training actually if i wasn't if i wasn't mm. fixated on on bodybuilding yeah. yeah well i mean they did say slash hobbies and i do live next to the beach now so maybe fishing i used to I thought you were gonna say so <laughs> yeah i was gonna say so <laughs> <laughs> could just see him with like dreadlocks like i think the whole world was like he's about to say surfing he's <laughs> yeah. like yeah, yeah throw a line no my balance isn't up to that no and plus I, I don't i live on a beach which is uh it's very tidal so when the there's no there's no waves big enough for surfing but it's prime fishing apparently so well which hobbies would you pursue competitively i can't wait to see jack in there competition yeah pro fishing lineup just would you would you guys come watch me yeah, yeah. can't wait to see you reel in a six foot flatty <laughs> you may as well have said that you're on the beach like metal detecting or something like that. 
Have you ever seen those like those fishing tournaments? They're like, I don't know, there's like 50 blokes around a lake and they've got those really long poles and they get like a bit of kibble and then they pour it into the water while their like line is there. And you're essentially just catching the same fish and putting it back, but it's just about how many you can reel in. <clears throat> I've seen that. You're right. I had no idea. Yeah, no. No, fishing's an all right pastime. Like it's good. My, it's not um, bad. Yeah, my dad, he loves fishing. So we used to do a bit of that when we were younger. But me um, and like me and Mr. Um Grieve can uh, link up. Yeah, mate. He he loves a fly fish. So maybe you and him can head down to Tasmania. Maybe that'd be quite nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Super Save great. even more money on protein too. That's true. Just add dogs, a dogs would cake. get a free meal. Fish and a rice cake. <laughs> <laughs> Fish and a rice cake. Oh, how good. All right, let's move on to the next question here. Next listen questioner. Uh, let's, let, next listener question. Uh, if you weren't with your current coach, who would you choose to coach you? Who wants to start this one? I'd choose Lawrence. Lawrence, there you go. You yeah, I was just going to say, none of you clowns. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, oh, what's interesting? Like, <sighs> I think Lawrence would be a good coach. I Like, so that's that's why I'm picking him. Like, he knows, Lawrence knows already more than than a lot of coaches out there anyway. So, yeah, but I don't think I could, like. But where's the qualifications? If you were to say, if you were to. I'm insured. <laughs> yeah, he's not insured, you know. And, like, you got to have a nutrition qualification behind him. Like, wouldn't you? Lawrence if you knows what a carb is. He's heard of a fat. Yeah. No, like, my. That's why we kind of say, like, I tr- when people ask me stuff about that, I'm like, I don't really. Like, I know enough for, like, the average Joe. Like, okay, I know more than the average Joe. But. Like, it's still like, it's more the um, the changes. That's when I would be like, I would always be doubting myself. Like, and that's why I could never do it myself. Like, I'm sure I could run myself through a mini cut. I'd be pretty comfortable doing that. But it's it's the adjustments to the expenditure and the calories where I would be like, <gasps> like, am I dropping them too much? Am I not dropping them enough? I think that's um, mainly experiential, to be honest. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. But I would probably, I probably would pick AJ and... Yeah, I think Jack, you'd be my second choice. I guess. What about you, um, DY? Yeah, DY, you go. Uh, I did think about this because I'll, I'll, I'll do another. If I was a female, I'd probably go to Tiara Nelson. That's one if I was a female. And if I was a guy, well, I am a we guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it would probably I, didn't be, re- I didn't realize we were asking mm. if we were the different gender. Yeah. Well, I just thought I'd mix it up. And then I'd probably either <laughs> go with like BK or someone along the lines of that or Damo. Happy days. Who have we missed? Jack, did you already, you already nominated? Well, I guess to, to do it seriously, um, I would probably... I don't know if Tierra counts, um, but no, I wouldn't pick Tierra just because it overcomplicates things. I would pick, pick probably pick uh, Team BK to be honest. Gotcha. Like yeah, either mate. either you or Team BK. BK, we're we're fantastic for sure. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, DC? Um, I would. I mean, I think I would probably go with one of the one of the guys at 3DMJ. Actually, mm. I'd probably go with um, maybe Bert, Bert, or um, or maybe even the the Godfather for his just experience in the game. And I just like that they've got a very collaborative coaching model. You know, they meet up every week. They have conversations about their athletes. We've got a psychologist on team. They've got a dietitian on team. Like it's very professional. They've been around for a very long time. Uh, I would probably tee up with one of one of their coaches if I changed coach, which is definitely not on the cards, but that's uh, that's the question itself. Let's move on to the next question, which is how many sugar-free items slash artificial sweeteners are too much during prep? Mm, I think there's, there's no definitive line. I think towards the end of prep, I would probably honestly say zero, uh, but probably leading up towards the end of prep, it would probably be determined by one, are you actually achieving the results you are seeking? Um, like, is your body weight being consistent? Is your look being consistent? And how are you feeling as well? Like, are you feeling regularly bloated because of all these sugar-free products that you're consuming? And how is your food focus? Like, is I think it is uh, a quick spiral if you are trying to overly sweeten your food at that point in a comp prep anyway, because like, let's be honest, cardboard 
is going to be taste pretty appealing by the end. So why why are we adding? Why are we making things hyper palatable at the end of prep as well? That's kind of my thought process. Mm. Yeah, what, what constitutes the end of prep though? Like, are you telling mm. your clients like peak week? You're not having any Pepsi Max, no Queens Maple. Like, what what constitutes that? Mm. Yeah, it mainly comes down to the individual. So if someone is on quite low calories and I'd rather not push their calories lower and they're consuming sugar-free products, then I would say, okay, rather than pushing your calories down further, let's take out some of these sugar-free products or all of them and see how you respond. And the majority of the time they end up losing body weight because one, it could just be partial calories from the product, or it could be they're just losing excess, I guess, fluid from, from the actual, this is very general, but bloating effect that sugar-free alcohols have. I mean, it does have a bit of an osmotic effect in terms of the gut, right? So mm. I think for a lot of individuals that have they've consumed large amounts of sugar-free uh, items, they they generally do report some um, some increased in gut motility, to put it nicely. So, <laughs> and I'm sure Lawrence can speak on on our behalf on that particular topic, having to race race to the bathroom mid mid set. You're never going to live that down. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, there's a few uh, themes starting to pop up in the bodybuilding down under podcast. A couple of uh, frequent uh, references, but hey, that's what it's about. You know, we're building a canon here. Just building rapport. You know, everyone knows we know each other. We're all mates. Exactly. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, I I would agree with um with Jack on that on that front. I would say like, and I don't know about you, Jack, with some of your athletes, but I've never had positive experiences where athletes have consumed very large amounts of sugar-free and artificial sweeteners and then also had productive rates of loss in terms of weight also reported you know positive gut health etc cetera, etc cetera. i often find there's a point by which someone is experimenting with too many artificial sweeteners slash polyols and it starts to get a little bit hairy you know we start to see like weight gain weight starting to creep up and it's like how why what what's happening here like there's mm. nothing to warrant this perhaps in a week we might see some you know, weight shifts and we know that weight doesn't necessarily move or fat loss is not a linear process there's many variables that affect our body weight you know from day to day and and somewhat at the end of a contest prep we can sort of wash away some of that rate of loss considering that the rate of loss is generally tapered down and slower but yeah, I would say I've never had a really positive experience. A lot of the time where I've said, okay, let's let's have a look at these things. Okay, we're consuming these artificial sweeteners. Let's take these out. And all of a sudden you take them out and all of a sudden their weight trends start moving positively again. And that's been a really common theme amongst a lot of athletes that I've worked with. So not that I'm, you know, I look at artificial sweeteners and things like that. And I say, that's not for any, everyone. Like you should just not have it whatsoever. I am somewhat skeptical in consuming these in large quantities as opposed to, you know, being controlled with them. Because I think if you allocate too many of your calories to artificial sweeteners and, and polyols, et cetera, then you're somewhat depriving yourself of nutrients from other, other mm. food sources that you could be consuming, which you could argue at the end of a contest prep, your, your, the likeliness of you being at a greater micronutrient deficiency is greater. Mm. So you probably want to allocate more of your total food towards plant-centric and, um, and micronutrient-rich sources. Do you have any input, yeah. input DY? I think we should. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I think you boys covered it pretty much already. But like like you said, DC, I like that. Is like you don't really see many positives, especially on like the back end of a prep coming from having all these artificial sweeteners. They don't really add anything. Yeah, sure, they might fix a craving like here and there. But on the back end, when you're just increasing them, or like you might be increasing them, having more sugar alcohols and stuff like that. It just brings up the food focus even more when it comes to a time where you probably want to have as little food focus as possible. Mm, absolutely. I mean, as a, as a competitor, how would you know that you're consuming too much? And that was really what was in the, the question itself. Like how much is too much? And I think it probably comes down to your own individual reaction to consuming too much. I mean, if you're starting to, to get really different changes within your gut motility and gut health and you start noticing some really irregularities within your bowel movements then i guess that's probably where you would reflect and go okay am i potentially consuming too much of this i think like bowel movements bloating maybe some weight spikes that you know shouldn't probably be there i reckon if you those are three of the most common ones probably that i see 
Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Now I want to ask one more question to the boys. And this was a question that we had a while back and uh, we never got the chance there to ask, but I wanted to know if any of you guys perform any sort of unconventional exercises. So exercises that, you know, if you performed in the gym, someone might look at you and go, what's this guy doing? Like, I know, for example, some people train their tib anterior, they might do some hip, hip flexion based exercises or some sort of sartorius raise or something along those lines. Well, they might even, you know, isolate forearms, uh, which again is maybe not something that you see conventionally in a lot of bodybuilding based programs, but what do you boys do? Is there anything in your program that you sort of supplement add in that may not be something that is a common exercise? Let's chuck it over to Lawrence. Yeah. So actually we had a, an off air discussion, I think us boys a while back, just sort of talking about these little extra little bits on top. And that sort of prompted me to think, you know what, I can start to include a bit of this stuff. So I've recently started training forearm extensors, forearm flexes, and then also some Tibant um, sort of like cable curls, I guess you could say, which I do on a leg day. So other than that- I think that, the listener might not know the tibialis anterior, so. Oh, okay, yeah. So the, the tibialis anterior is kind of like the, the muscle that's on the front of your shin. So if you try and move your toes back up towards your shin, that's the, its main action, which is dorsiflexion. And if you have a bit of muscle there, if you place your hand on the front of your shin, you should be able to feel a bit of a bulge and that's your tibialis anterior. Yeah, I'm, I'm very similar. I think you're the same Jack as well, aren't you? You do mm. train some tib anterior on occasion. Yep. Once a week. I also do serratus push-ups as well because uh, one of my own pieces of feedback for my physique last time was I lacked a lot of abdominal thickness um, and, and thickness from the side. Like I don't want oblique thickness. I want serratus thickness, um, which are those muscles, I guess, above the obliques. They're kind of like those finger-like muscles on your rib cage. So I want, to, I want that to be a little thicker next time I compete um, without thickening my oblique. And I also want my, my midsection itself to be much thicker. So I've been really prioritizing abs, um, serratus, and I, I train tibialis as well. Awesome. On the topic of serratus, I remember like, I think it was my second season competing and I put up like a check-in photo and I don't know, some hero commented like your, your serratus is underdeveloped. You need to do more of this and more of that. And I was like, like looking back on it, it's like everything is underdeveloped. <laughs> like everything is small and you happen to point out like your serratus. I was actually going to, I was thinking your serratus is actually very, very, it gets lean very quickly and it's quite prominent. At least yeah, now. well, that's what I thought. I thought they were like actually okay. Yeah, so it was like this guy's looked past my like paper thin back, barely any <laughs> biceps, and he's like, oh, "Mate, that's that's the artist. That's where you're losing shots." Um, but yeah, like on the like front lat, especially like when I pull it up, it is quite prominent. Because mm. I'm always pushing away the haters, Jack. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what a loser. Do <laughs> is there anything unconventional you do in your programming? Nothing unconventional, but I do, I guess, one exercise that probably like catches a couple of eyes. I guess it's come a, come into light a lot decent uh, recently, which is that like Ian King deadlift. It's like a one-legged, like, I guess, like deadlift where you kind of go down. It's hard to explain. You'd need to see a video of it, but I guess I catch a few eyes whenever I do that. I do that as like a warm-up slash like glute activation, like a single-legged movement for my uh, glutes because, yeah, obviously I had that little bit of an injury, so I ran it past Lawrence, and I just included that, and it's been feeling really good since implementing them. Mm, for sure. I do a lot of single-leg RDLs. Like I really love single-leg RDLs, and I almost think it's a movement that, not a lot of individuals, particularly bodybuilders, you know, add into their programming, which I also find interesting because, you know, people are more than happy to include lunges and, you know, single leg squat variations being, you know, essentially a lunge variation. But as soon as you do a single leg hinge, it's like, what is this guy doing? This is not, not ideal for hypertrophy, right? So it's an interesting uh, hypocrisy in that regard. But um I also do some uh, resisted hip flexion on, on a cable as well. And that's because of my previous injury in terms of a FAI. But um, I felt like on stage, I lacked that sort of sartorius thickness. So I also do this variation where I sort of go into hip flexion and almost external rotation as I 
bring my uh, my leg up to the opposite knee in in resistant in a resisted plane. So I almost lay down flat on the floor with my uh, foot attached to a, a cable, and I perform this like simultaneous hip flexion and external rotation of the hip uh, to try and get that sartorius sartorius muscle on a little bit more. And I also do anterior tip stuff every now and then, not not super frequent, but sometimes I remember to uh, to add it in there. But I tend to perform it on like a uh, like a horizontal leg press. So I have my foot up really high on the platform and I almost perform like a dorsiflexion based resistance movement. I've also performed it like leaning up against the wall as well. But um, yeah, some unconventional exercises. I'm sure we'll get some guys either touching base and going, hey, what is this exercise you guys have been doing? And add it into my programming now. But um, I think that pretty much wraps up the questions that we had for today. Do you guys have anything else that you wanted to add to the podcast today? I was just going to say that if you didn't quite understand the sartorius movement, good way to remember it is that if you've stepped in some, some feces on your walk out of the park, imagine what you would do to check the bottom of your shoe. And I think that's where the name actually originates from. I think it's like the shoemaker's muscle. Um, to kind of like when you lift it up, like lifting a shoe back up towards you. So it's a good way to remember it. Yeah, I do remember it in, in university, them giving us the example of something along those lines. The, uh, yeah. the longest yeah, muscle shoe, in the body shoe. as well. Yeah. So longest muscle, yeah. Quite right. a, would it be quite a developed muscle in soccer players then? Because that's how they kick or they pass it like that. Maybe, maybe if we check out Ronaldo, he's like, you know, 6% all year. I'm sure he'd have a, a decent, do you know who has like, one of the most ridiculous Sartorius that I can remember is um, uh, it was BK's boy from circa 2018 classic era, Nick. I'm forgetting his Nick Brown. Mm-hmm. I have a photo like of him that like one of my family members took of when he was like hitting his front double and he would really pop the Sartorius. Stupid, stupid. So, cause he was diced as well, but mm-hmm. yeah, very developed. I think it's just a really cool muscle that if you've got that yeah. thick it just kind of it just kind of like rounds off the quads right that whole Mm. frontal whole frontal sort of uh profile for Mm. sure all right guys well that wraps up another episode of the bodybuilding down under podcast thank you again for joining us today if you love today's episode remember to give us a subscribe and an awesome review and we will certainly see you in the next episode peace